Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Yeah, good morning, Fallowfield. My name is Beth, for those of you who don't know me. I'm one of the leaders here at the site. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our series in looking at Galatians, at looking at gospel freedom. So we're going to be today looking at the beginning of chapter 3. So just to give you a little recap of what we've been going through, like through Galatians for the last couple of weeks. If you are new, Galatians is a book in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. And the main theme of this book is that we are saved by Jesus alone. The good news of the gospel is purely based on what God has done through Jesus on the cross and nothing that we have done. But the churches in Galatia have begun to believe a different narrative. That yes, Jesus is the Messiah, our saviour, but also to be truly saved, you need to follow these old Jewish laws. For instance, uh, circumcision, food laws around not eating certain meats and so on. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been really kind of unpacking how this relates to us today as these laws don't circumcision doesn't relate to us today that I know of. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on how this can form itself in the spiritual disciplines. So of like reading our Bibles, fasting, and even praying. If I just read my Bible more, if I prayed more, or fasted more, it will make me right and keep me in favor with God. Or oh, I talked about purity culture that we touched on and looking at how actually during the 90s and early noughties that through the outlets of media and literature, things were being added to the gospel that linked the status of your virginity with purity and salvation before God. Or as Abby and Tom touched last week, the lie of how when you accept Jesus into your life and enter into the Christian faith, whatever your class, cultural or ethnicity, you must now shed yourself of that and form this homogenous middle class entity that is how you truly become a Christian. But these are all lies and distortions of the gospel, and we need to be so aware of when these things can creep in. And Paul is taking this very seriously throughout Galatians. So this concept of adding to the gospel is taking from the power of what Jesus did on the cross. So throughout it, we've seen him use quite strong language, and he doesn't stray from that in this passage that we're going to read today. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians 3, verse 1 to 14. It will show up behind me, yeah, and I'll just read it now. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'm just going to pray before we get started. So if you just want to close your eyes. Yeah, Lord, I just, um, as we work through this passage, I just pray that you'll be speaking to us through it, Lord. I pray that, um, yeah, your Holy Spirit will come and just kind of unlock these verses for us. Would it go from head to heart knowledge, Lord? We know that you are in this room with us and we just ask you to come and work among us. Amen. So, right, we're going to work through this passage in three chunks. And the first chunk I want to look at is how by faith in the gospel, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, first of all, as I said, you can hear Paul's frustration in his voice, his foolish Galatians. And I was thinking about it. I was like, can you imagine if Colin, those of you who don't know, Colin started CCM years ago. Colin came to Fallowfield today and was like, you foolish Fallowfielders. Can't, like, who has bewitched you? It would be so strong and it would be so, you know, it kind of, it would really hit you deep. So when we see this first few verses, Paul is reminded the Galatians of how they first came to faith. So verse one, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This letter was written approximately 20 years after the crucifixion. So the believers of Galatia would have witnessed to an extent Christ on the cross. And I'd ask you all right now to think about what you were doing 20 years ago, but I think the answer would make me feel sad and old, so we'll just brush past it. (laughs) But the fact is, 20 years wasn't a very long time ago. Next verse, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Or in other words, what part of the process did you play in your salvation? And the fact is, none. We receive the Spirit when we simply put our faith in Jesus and decide to follow him. And the Galatians, they knew this, but they were, they'd been, like, they knew they'd been saved and received the Spirit through their faith in Jesus. But they're now beginning to add works. And this, if you couldn't tell from Paul's language, was an offense to the gospel itself. It was taking away from what the power of Jesus had done. They weren't continuing as they'd started. A few months ago, I was making a chocolate cake to take to a dinner with some friends. And I'd had this insane cake from Chalton, this like, I think it's Bijou Bijou, I don't know what it's called, but it was an amazing cake, which was like chocolate and it was rich and moist. And it had this wonderful like chocolate ganache on the top with like a circum, um, raspberries in like a circumference, is that right? Yeah, around the top. And it was insane. I was like, you know what? I can recreate this. I'll take it to this dinner party. So I made the batter of the cake, baked it, all went well, it was all good. And then I had, so basically years ago, I made a ganache from a recipe that went really, really well, went perfect. I thought, I've got this, I can do this. But actually, those of you who don't do a lot of baking, ganaches are quite difficult to make. They involve like timings and temperatures. And yeah, like unbeknownst to me, I was like, ah, I don't need a recipe this time around. It'll be fine. Um, So I got cocky and I was like, I'm going to just do this on my own. And uh, that, my friends, was my first mistake (laughs) out of many that followed because everything that went wrong with the cake afterwards went wrong. So the first ganache, failure, burnt the chocolate. So I made buttercream to like cover it up. I thought, oh, it's all right, I'll just put some buttercream on it. And then the second ganache burnt the chocolate again but didn't have any more chocolate, so I picked the bits out that were burnt. 
And I thought, we've come this far. Why not? Just I'll add some more cream now. Let's go for it. So I then put this hot ganache onto this buttercreamed cake, which then starts melting the buttercream underneath it. And so in panic, I start mixing together on the cake, which then makes this kind of like curdled, sloppy, then bits of the cake coming out in it. So it's kind of textured. And it just, it looked absolutely awful. And I got to the point where the only thing that I could think that it resembled was, if anyone likes Star Wars here, was the stomach of Jabba the Hutt. And actually, I've got, I've got a photo. To, uh, that is what, like that bit there, that's what the cake looked like. Um, uh, yeah, so I took it with me. The friend said that it tasted fine, but it did look horrific. I just threw the raspberries on top and it was all right. But the fact is, I should have just followed the recipe. I should have continued as I'd started. I knew what caused the best outcome at the beginning, yet I chose to forget or ignore it and try it myself. And it's the same with the Galatians here. They were forgetting what initially saved them. They weren't living in the goodness of what had happened on the cross, of what they had witnessed and experienced. They'd forgotten its power and traded a life empowered by the Holy Spirit for one based on human effort. Verse 3 says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I want to ask you, how often in our lives do we make the same trade? We put human effort over empowerment from the Spirit. How often are we inviting the Holy Spirit into our days, but rather plowing on through with the tasks that we have? Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14 says, Having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you are a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. I think often in the Christian world, we can reduce the work of the Spirit down to an experience or a feeling, but he is so much more than that. I grew up in a Christian home and I became a Christian at quite a young age and I know through scripture that when I made that decision that I then received the Holy Spirit into my life, but I'd say my first overwhelming encounter with the Spirit when I was around 12, 13 years old. And I remember them, I was at a conference and I remember them telling people to put out your hands if you wanted to receive the Spirit. And I distinctly remember thinking, that youth leader over there, I want them to come pray for me. Because whenever they prayed for people, something happened. You know, they like moved or they fell over or something like that. And so I was kind of willing for her to come over to me. Because I was like, I want to experience what they're experiencing. Because clearly it's something visual. That's what needs to happen, uh, which isn't true at all. Um, But instead, my other youth leader, lovely, lovely lady, what Kath Kidston a lot, you know the vibe. Um, She like came over and she started praying for me. And uh, I was like, oh, come on. Um, But it was amazing. After a minute or so of her praying for me and her laying her hands on my shoulders, um, I just felt an overwhelming sense of God's love for me. It's like power, all the Sunday school stories, the evening prayers that I'd done as a kid suddenly hit me with the depth of God's love that made, like I prayed a minute ago, made it go from head to heart knowledge, which was just, yeah, I couldn't contain it. I couldn't even really describe it very well for you right now, but it was so evident in that moment that what I believed from years ago was living and alive in me. So yeah, these kind of encounters have only for me happened a handful or so times in my life and speaking to other Christians, I think they'd say similarly, but the spirit is, sorry, But the Spirit isn't just within us in these big experiential moments. He's working in us daily. As Paul says in verse 5, he is supplying us with the Spirit. It's a constant thing. It's through the Spirit that we live. When we believe, 
We receive the spirit that enables us and it enables us to not snap back at maybe a comment that your colleague made. It enables us to let go of anxiety in situations we can't control. It enables us to hold gently our earthly relationships, knowing that he's our father in heaven who is our ultimate source and provider. He enables us to challenge our behaviours and align our hearts with the characteristics and behaviours of Jesus. And if you are struggling to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, I would encourage you, just invite him in today. Just cry out to him. He is with us right now and longs to meet with you. We're going to have some ministry time later where we'll pray, but I just encourage you, right, even now, just uh, yeah, in your head, as I like, keep on praying. You can stop listening to me now if you want to. Just uh, yeah, invite the Spirit into your life. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, start as you mean to go on. You are saved by faith and receive the Spirit as power from on high. This is the source of the miracles among you. It says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The miracles and the works we see among us aren't a testament to the law, but to a work of the Holy Spirit. So verse 6, just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which leads me to the next chunk, and it's by faith in the gospel, the nations are blessed. So God promised back in Genesis, 2,000 or so years before Jesus, that through Abraham's lineage and offspring, there would be redemption. It says in Genesis 15, verse 5, some of you might be familiar with the passage. I think it's going to come up, yeah. And he, God, brought him, Abraham, outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. When you hear that passage, I want to ask you, do you think of yourself as one of those stars? Because you are. And it struck me this week as I was reading that passage, I was like, oh my goodness, I am literally one of the stars that Abraham saw in the sky that night. <clears throat> Sorry, I need some, can someone get me some water? Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so we often think about God designing us and uh, putting us together before even the creation of the world. But actually, we can see ourselves throughout the Old Testament. What came to Abraham that night was always much, much wider than just the redemption of Israel. We are included in this, and so were the Galatians. So verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Thanks, Joanna. Saying, uh, sorry, know that then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We see the gospel prophesied in Abraham, who wasn't a Jew, but justified through his faith, not by his works. Before Abraham had done anything, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham received God's righteousness through his faith. The Galatians were already the children of Abraham, not by Jewish law, circumcision or by their works, but by their faith. Verse 8, God said to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. I think often we can think of everyone coming to receive the gospel as almost individuals, not different cultures. But this is the very heart of the gospel here. God's plan was for all of the nations to be blessed through Abraham, not just the Jews, but all cultures, tribes, people groups, everyone. 
This is the message of the gospel and as a result is the message of us as a church. The church should be a multicultural people group brought together by the riches of grace that we have all received. Therefore, there is no space for classism, racism, ageism within our church. Paul isn't saying here in the Galatians like, oh, okay, so there's a bit of difference in what we're believing here and cultures. So let's just segregate off and separate out and you'll do your thing, we'll do our thing. He's saying, no, this is the gospel that we are all now united and made holy by having faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. A little further on in the passage than what we're going to be looking at today, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we know that we must continue as our faith started, rooted in the spirit. We know that what was prophesied to Abraham came to completion in Jesus and surpasses cultural division. And lastly, Paul leads us to how the law could never bring complete righteousness and how by faith in the gospel, we are justified from the curse of the law. I think as humans, and I'm sure we probably all can relate here, we all have an instinct desire to be in favour with one another. We long to be right with one another in our relationships, friends with friends, dynamics with families, between employees and bosses. Those moments when things feel off, it makes you feel unsettled or anxious or paranoid. And it's, it's the same with God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we've revolted against him. But we long to be right with him. To be justified, as it talks about in verse 11, is to be in favour with God. When we become Christians and give our lives to God, we are immediately justified by our faith, receiving the blessing of God's favour. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And here this is a bit of a, what's going, if you don't know what's going on here, it can be a bit like, what does that mean? But Paul here is making a nod towards the Levitical law of the Old Testament. And in Leviticus 26, Moses illustrates how the law leads to one of two ways, basically, blessing or curse. Blessing for those who keep the law and a curse for those who fail to keep it. Every one of us, but Jesus, has failed to keep the law. So by means, it was impossible to ever be justified by the law, as no one could ever be completely blameless. So the function of the law is to condemn, not to justify. So Paul, referencing this in Galatians, he's saying, if you choose to embrace the law, you'll end up living under the curse of the law. It would be like a prisoner who's been set free, turning back up at the prison and saying, don't mind me, I'll just let myself in, I'm just going to stay here. Why would you make such a trade? And Paul goes on in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Don't know about you, but I don't really hear much about curses in my day to day. It's definitely less common in the West as well. Although Rosie mentioned to me the other day that apparently in Camden Market in London that there's people selling roses and if you don't buy a rose, they'll curse you as you walk away. <laughs> so just be aware if you're making any trips sometime soon. Um, but I think the tendency here in the West or even in England is to associate the word potentially curse with maybe mystical nonfiction or witchcraft that actually seems to be a bit of a rising trend among our current generation. But something that maybe we don't really put it down to much harm or we think of it as just a word. But when Paul uses the word curse here, 
we must take it for the gravity that it is. So Paul is referencing the Old Testament again, as he loves to do. Um, and in Deuteronomy 21, 20, verse 22 to 23, it speaks about how a hanged man is cursed by God. So it says, And if a hanged man has committed a crime punishable by death, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Under the law of Moses, to be hung on a tree, or a pole as some translations will say, was a symbol of divine rejection. You were cursed by God. And I'm sure we all here have known some feeling of rejection in our lives, maybe some of us more than others in some, some way, and it is painful. It feels unjust, unjust. Your heart aches, and it sits like a knot in your stomach. You long for reconciliation. But Jesus took the curse, that rejection from God that was meant for us. He didn't just take it, but he became the curse that was meant for us so that we now may inherit the blessing. Isaiah 53 verse four to four, verses 4 to 7 says, surely he, took up, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The moment you believed in Jesus, you were justified. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with Lord, our Lord God Jesus Christ. Our striving, our efforts, our works are in vain because Jesus did it all on the cross. And the last verse of our passage here, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through Christ taking the curse of the law on the cross, we now get to receive the blessing by faith that was promised to all of Abraham's descendants, the promised Holy Spirit. Within this passage, Paul is imploring the Galatians to examine where in their lives are they rooting their salvation and by what power do they live. We received our salvation when we put our faith in Jesus. Then the blessing of this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us apply the truth of the gospel to our lives so that when we ask the Spirit to come, we know that the promise isn't that it'll solve all your problems, everything will be fixed. But we know that we are receiving power from on high and the Spirit is our counsellor reminding us of all the good that God has done. 